Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life. And I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Put your ribbon there if your Bible has a ribbon. If not, put your finger there and turn to Acts chapter 19. Those will be the, the two passages that we spend this morning in. I told uh, Wesley that I was going to preach on the church at Ephesus this morning. And then he pulled a fast one on me and used Ephesians as the Lord's Supper text too. So uh, you're just getting a whole day worth of Ephesians today. All right? This is a, uh, a lesson that, for whatever reason, I, I have a list of sermons that I want to preach. And this sermon has been on there for, from what I can tell, five years. And um, I never preached it. I, I, I don't know why that is. Um, after studying through it over the last few weeks, um, I don't know why we haven't looked at the church of Ephesus more uh, than we have. It, it said that every church has a life cycle. And that life cycle may begin and end. Um, and that church building or a group of that those people may continue to meet in that building. That building may still be used. It may even have the same name on it. But every church has a life cycle. And sometimes that life cycle begins and ends and starts over again with the same people in the same area. I think all of us, at least those of us who have been here for a while, can say that Warm Springs Road Church of Christ is a different church than it was 10 years ago. If you had been here for 77 years, uh, since it was all the way downtown, I guarantee you, you would have said that it's a different church since then. The church at Ephesus no doubt had those, those different times where it became a quote-unquote different church. Same name, you know, same relative group of people, but the culture changes, the atmosphere changes, the worship never changes, but the people change. That's, that's a good thing. You know, the church is not built of, of sticks and mortar and bricks. It's, it's, built of, it's built of people. And so when the people change, uh, sometimes the church culture changes without the worship, without the name and so forth changing. Um, and Ephesus is one of those. Acts 19 is when Ephesus started. What I wanted to do today was take some pictures um, some word pictures, if you will, of, uh, of the history of the church at Ephesus, like a plant growing, and see, see the different life stages of the church that, well, as far as we know, it lasted well over 200 years. So, let's go into it. Acts chapter 19. Whenever a plant is beginning, it is sprouting, so our first image is of a sprouting church. In Acts 19, verses 1 through 7, you have a church that begins in a very, a very odd way. Not, not like most other churches. Most churches in the book of Acts began because 
Well, an apostle or a prophet of God or a speaker of God would go to a city on a missionary trip, like, for instance, Paul starting all of the churches that he started. Um, And he would go into the synagogues and he would spend time there in the synagogue preaching and teaching to the Jews. And if the Jews didn't listen, then he would go to the marketplace, uh, to the Agora or to um, to the marketplace in that city, and he would preach to the Gentiles. And if the Gentiles didn't listen, then he would leave And he would go to the next city. But those that had heard, those that had listened and believed the truth and obeyed the gospel, would then become the church at blank, the church at Corinth, the church at Thessalonica, the church at um, Crete. We don't know of a church that started in Crete, but he was in Crete, so I guarantee you there was a church there. Uh, Anywhere Paul went, he never never left a, a place without teaching the gospel to the people. So, the church at Ephesus begins in a very different way. You see, when Paul gets to Ephesus, it's not the go to the synagogue. When he gets to Ephesus, he meets 12 men. And he asks them, do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the ability to perform miraculous miracles, uh, miracles, miraculous acts on behalf and through the power of the Holy Spirit? Can you speak in tongues? Can you raise the dead? Can you heal the sick? Do you have miraculous discernment? Those actions that the early Christians had that people had never heard of before. The reason why God enacted those actions, those miracles, wasn't just so that the people could feel important. I mean, that's the problem in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. The reason he started those was because when you didn't have a Bible, you needed a way to prove things to people. And so the best way to prove to them that you were preaching on behalf of God was to be able to show them something that only God could do. And so... He asked them, do you have the miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit? And they said, we we don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. What's that? Not who's that, but what's that? Because they have no clue who the Holy Spirit is. And he says, well, how? Whoa, whoa, whoa. How were you baptized? What what were you doing? He says, we were baptized under John's baptism. So Paul says, wait a second. John baptized for repentance, but... He was getting things ready for Jesus Christ. And you've never, you've never, never followed the teachings of Christ. So he baptizes them, and that begins the church at Ephesus. Paul would stay there for at least two years, more like three, probably three and a half years, before he would leave there. The church at Ephesus begins in a very unusual way. Not the way that, see, the problem is, What you'll find out over the next few minutes about the church at Ephesus is that it is not the usual church. It's not like the rest of them. But here's the problem. Look at Acts chapter 19, verse number 1. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Verse 4, John baptized, baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people they should believe. On verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. You see, these men had, they had passion. They're living for Christ. They're trying to follow the teachings of of the Messiah, but they don't have understanding. The, mo- the two most dangerous positions that a Christian can ever be in 
or having passion without knowing what you're doing or knowing what you're doing and having no passion in them. Those are both dangerous and equally dangerous. In fact, in Matthew chapter, three, Matthew chapter 13, he's talking about the soils. Verse 5, other seeds fell on rocky ground. They did not have much soil. Immediately they sprang up. Since they had no depth of soil, the sun comes, they were scorched. So since they had no soil, they withered away. You see, if you have passion and you don't have any backbone, you don't have any building grounds, you don't have any foundation under your faith, but you have all the passion in the world, the problem is as soon as something else comes along, you're going to have passion about that. Now the opposite, verse 7 of chapter Matthew, uh, Matthew 13, says this, other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. You can have passion without understanding, and the next thing that comes along, you'll go with that. You can have understanding without passion, and you will not overcome the thorns. Your knowledge of the Bible is not enough to keep you faithful. It's not. You can know every judges, every person in the book of Judges. You can know all of the apostles' names. You can know that there are 31,102 verses in the King James Version of the Bible. You can know that there are 66 books. You can go through the theological ramifications of premillennialism in the book of Revelation. And if you don't have passion, it is pointless. But if all you have is passion, you don't know what you're doing. I, I love the Lord's Supper. I take the Lord's Supper. I, I remember Jesus' death. I have no clue what Jesus' death means, but I love it because it's a time that we get together and we, we have a snack during worship service. You see, you can have passion without understanding. You can have understanding without passion, and that's the setting that the church at Ephesus begins. Now, picture number two is of some weeding that happens. Acts chapter 19, verse number 8 Paul begins the process of weeding, weeding the ground. Verse 8, and he entered in the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading about the kingdom of God. Verse, eight, verse 9, but when some stubborn, some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them, took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. Then the sons of Sceva come. These men who are casting out demons, quote-unquote, they're, they're, they're trying to at least. And they don't know what they're doing. They have passion without understanding. And they don't care to have understanding. And so what happens in the next section of Acts 19, verse 11 through 20, is these men go to a demon and they say, Get out on the name of Paul and the name of Jesus Christ. And they say, we know who Jesus is and we know who Paul is. We don't have any clue who you are. And so the, the demon jumps on him, jumps on the man. Verse number, uh, look down at verse number 19. And a number of those who had practiced magical arts brought their books together and burned them in, in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued and increased and prevailed mightily. Sometimes throughout those two years that Paul is teaching at the, at the school of Tyrannus, he has to deal with false teachers. He has to deal with problems. I just want to read to you a list of verses, okay? Titus chapter 2 and verse 15. 
2 Thessalonians 3, 14, Titus 1, 13, Galatians 6, 1, 1 Corinthians 5, 13. All of those verses, many more, not to mention the rest of them, have to do with this problem. Anytime there is a church, you will have problems. They told us numerous times in, in preaching school years ago, if you find the perfect church, don't go because you will mess it up. If you find the perfect church, there will be problems. Ephesus had problems. Thessalonica had problems. Corinth had problems. And the thing is that Paul instructed all of those churches that sometimes some weeding is needed. Sometimes it's needed for Christians to stand up on behalf of God's Word and say that we will not accommodate the world, that we will not accommodate these actions or these teachings or so forth. That's what Paul does. He spends two years and he builds those Christians up. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. In Acts chapter 21, or sorry, Acts chapter 19, verse 21, something happens. Look at verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must go also to Rome. And having sent to Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. So he's still in Ephesus. About the time arose no little dis- disturbance concerning the way for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines to Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. You see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And then comes the riot at Ephesus. Right toward the end of Paul's time at Ephesus, there is a giant riot where these people in Ephesus get together in the amphitheater and they scream for hours, great is Diana, God of the Ephesians, great is Diana, God of the Ephesians, over and over and over and over again. And Paul has spent three years almost working and laboring with the church at Ephesus and weeding and and building it up and getting it ready and, and continuing to grow it. And now watch what happens at the end of chapter 19. When he had said all these things, he dismissed the assembly. So now the riot's over. Verse, 20, uh, verse 1 of chapter 20. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after in- in- encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. That used to be the most confusing verse in all of the ministry of Paul to me. Paul, wait a second. You have spent three years at the church at Ephesus working and building, and growing Christians, and weeding out the Christians that weren't going to cut it, and making sure that this church is strong. And then the moment that a riot happens, the moment that a problem occurs, you tuck tail and run. And you're supposed to be the preacher that all of us are looking up to. Wes and I have been trained. We look at Paul as an encouragement of who we're supposed to be. And I used to look at Paul and think... Why did you run away from Ephesus when it was just getting hard? And then it dawned on me. And this is why I think this is why I've been scared to preach this sermon for the last five years. It dawned on me. 
Paul didn't tuck tail and run. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. You see, Paul was not a preacher. Paul was not what Wes and I are. Paul was an apostle. It's different. Paul wasn't called to the local church. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't the local preacher. He was the apostle. He's the missionary. He's the one that goes in, parachutes in, starts a church and leaves. Ephesus is the unusual thing. Why did Paul stay three years? He's never done that before in his ministry. And then, it, then it dawned on me. And so I looked up the history of the church of Ephesus. And I went through all of the texts that talk about the church at Ephesus. And I want to tell you a list of the preachers at the church of Ephesus at the end of Acts chapter 19, at the beginning of chapter 20. Are you ready? Aquila, of Aquila and Priscilla fame, the husband of Priscilla, the man who taught Apollos the gospel. By the way, Apollos is still there. Timothy is there. And Paul is there. Paul didn't tuck tail and run from the church at Ephesus. He built them up and got them ready. And then when it was ready, he left because he's not the local preacher. He's the apostle. He needs to go and start other churches. He left them there to fight the battle because the local church is able to fight the battle. Now, the next picture that we see is in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. And that is the nurturing. Just a few years later, now the church is started in about A.D. 52. He leaves in about 55. A couple years later, he's been on a mission trip through the book, uh, chapter 20. In fact, really, chapter 20 doesn't, doesn't do justice to the timeline because in, in about 13 verses, it spans about two years. So now it's been two years since Paul left Ephesus. Verse 17, from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you see, by the time Paul left, you have preachers there, you have elders there, that church is ready. And Paul doesn't tuck tail and run. He's not there for that purpose. He's the missionary. But two years later, he's in the area and he calls to the church at Ephesus and says, send your elders over here. And so they go. And that famous passage, that famous conversation, because he's about to never see them again, he teaches them things. Like, down in verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained from, with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. He's not weeding. That's their job now. He's built it up. He's grown it up. He's got it to where it can do the weeding itself, and he leaves. And he comes back two years later, and he's nurturing it. He's building it up. He's saying, listen, uh, I know that it's about to get hard for y'all, and you need to stay focused. You need to continue the work of weeding. You need to continue the work of staying faithful and preaching the gospel and staying committed to Jesus Christ. And so he does that. And then he leaves. And then fast forward another 10 years to AD 62 when Paul has not seen these Christians in five years. And he's somewhere in Corinth, most likely. And he writes a letter to them. 
And it's been five years since he saw him and ten years since he started the church there at Ephesus. And he says things like this. For this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Ephesians 1.15 He encourages their sincerity. He encourages them to stay humble in their faith. Chapter 2, verse 8. That know, know this. This is, this is the least no version of chapter 2, verse 8 of Ephesians. You ready? Ephesians 2, verse 8. Know this. That you being baptized didn't make God owe you anything. You owed God something, and that's why you were baptized. So he says, I want you to know that this is not something that you've done. It's something God has given you. It's a gift from him. He reminds them to stay strong in prayer life. He tells them to stay unified. He shows them the dangers of impurity. He strengthens them in the understanding of the family. He tells them what the role of a husband is, what the role of a wife is, and what the role of a child is. And he, he nurtures them. He waters them. He builds them up. He's not... He's not getting on to them. You know, Ephesians is one of those books that's it's a little strange. Galatians starts off like this. I'm surprised that you've left Christ so quickly. 1 Corinthians starts off like this. I can't believe that you're breaking up and following preachers instead of the Christ. And you've got some serious other problems too, Corinth. You've got a man there who has taken his stepmother as wife. You've got a man there who is hating his brothers. And so you take the Lord's Supper quickly before those brothers get there so that you don't have to spend time with them. You hate each other. you got people there that think that because you have the gift of tongues and it's showy and flashy and you can speak a language that you've never learned, that you're somehow super Christians and that's just not the case. Ephesus is not like that. Paul doesn't write to Ephesians and get on to them. He doesn't even correct any problems in the book of Ephesians. He builds them up. He waters them. He strengthens them. Now, so we've had all this time. Ephesus has been a church now for about 10 years. They have elders. They have preachers. They are growing. They are building each other up. Not growing in numbers per se, as far as we know, but they're growing in strength. But they have had in the past Apollos, Aquila, Paul, and Timothy. And it's at that time, around the same time that Paul writes the book of Ephesians that another man moves to Ephesus. You've probably heard of him. His name is John. It's from Ephesus around the same time, just a little after, not too long after, but just a little after the, uh, the book of Ephesus is, Ephesians is written that John moves there. And about 20 years later, after John is an elder in the church at Ephesus, he writes some books, the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's during that time also that Timothy is there, 2nd Timothy 4 and verse 19. It's that time when now they have John the Apostle, Paul the Apostle, Timothy, Apollos, and Aquila have all at one point worked there, and two of them are working there right then. When John is an elder at the church at Ephesus, Timothy is their preacher. That's a, that's, that's, listen, okay? We have some churches in the brotherhood that have well-known, amazing, qualified, and, and spiritual giants of elders. And at the same time, they have amazing, qualified, and capable preachers. 
And, and those, churches, those churches are important to the gospel. Ephesus has Timothy and John there. Okay? To me, that's a big deal. It may not be to you, but it is to me. Now, here's the problem. A little after that, John has upset the Roman government. And he gets exiled from the Roman world. And he gets sent to the Isle of Patmos. So the elder at Ephesus is now gone. And Timothy is gone. He has moved on to help Paul in Rome. And so now the church, as far as we know, we don't know the preacher's name there. We don't know any of the elders' name there. And so John writes this to the Ephesian church. Revelation 2 and verse 4. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. What happened in the 30 years from the time when John and Timothy were there evangelizing and teaching to 30 years later in AD 96, John writes back and says, you've lost it. You've lost all of your passion. Doing the right stuff, but you've lost your passion. A church that began with only passion and no understanding is now at the point where all they have is understanding. They, they're, you know, when someone comes and teaches false doctrines, they can stand up and, and rebuke that man immediately. But they have no passion behind what they're doing. They're just checking a box, punching a time card, and acting like they are something big because of the names of the men who used to be there. Ephesus is dealing with the past. They live in the past. They have no foresight for the future. It is tradition that after Paul or after John finished his exile, after the man who sent him into exile Domitian, after he dies, it is tradition that Paul, that John would move back to Ephesus and continue to be an elder there until he was very, very old in age, probably upwards of 100 years old. That's the tradition. Now here's the problem. We don't know if they ever fixed it. We don't know if they got their passion back. We do know this. About 100 years after those words are written to Ephesus, you've left the love that you had at first. Ephesus is the church that started the Catholic Church. You know this giant thing in Rome that we hear about all the time? The Pope, you know, the guy that drives in the funny car and wears the funny hat. You know who I'm talking about, right? The vicar of Christ. He's supposed to be Jesus Christ on earth. It started at Ephesus. In 150 years, the church at Ephesus began with men who only had passion and no understanding, they become one of the churches that is fundamental in the growth of the gospel in the first century. And then something happens where they, they rest on their laurels. They say, man, we know the Bible. You know, we've become nothing more than Pharisees, but we've known, we know the Bible. And then a hundred years later, the largest denomination, the largest group that teaches false doctrine in the entire world starts right there. 
See, that's the danger that happens when you aren't balanced, when you don't have passion and understanding, when you don't have your identity built in Christ and the knowledge that helps you withstand sin. That's what happens. If you have your identity in Christ and you don't have any knowledge of keeping you away from sin, what will happen is you will sin because you will say, God wants me to be happy the way that I am. And if all you have is understanding and you don't have any passion, you won't say God wants you to be the way that you are. You will say that God doesn't care about me regardless of what I am. But I'm going to check this box because this is the way we've always done it. Ephesus is, is, a, is an amazing study. It's also a very sad study to think that to think that the church where Timothy did all of those wonderful things from, the church that, that Paul was influential in starting, the church that caused a riot in their city because they were so passionate and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ that they were preaching and teaching so much that the people in the city got mad about it and started a riot. That same church loses their passion eventually and falls away. And not only falls away, but falls pretty hard. You see, you have to have both. You have to know the truth, and you have to be passionate about the truth. And I am scared that Christians today are not passionate about the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified. Not specifically here, but the world over. Terrified that we are not passionate about the truth the way we used to be. And I'm also terrified that Christians today may be passionate, but they don't have a clue what they're doing. They have to have both. Or else we'll end up just like the people at Ephesus. We'll end up punching our time cards and being done with it. Or we'll end up like they were before and lost and not knowing it. It's scary to be in either one of those situations. Because the fact is that Ephesus is not that much different from an individual. Yeah, it's a church, but it's made up of individuals. And it's not that far away from what can happen very easily with one of us. And it does not take 200 years or 150 years for a person to end up in the same place Ephesus does. Maybe it takes that long for a church to end up there, but not a person. We have to remain passionate about Jesus Christ, and we have to remain in the Word of God and studying it and learning it and not just resting on the fact that I am passionate and God knows my heart. Yes, God knows your heart. But the question is, do you know His? If you want to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand and sing a psalm of encouragement for you. If you are a Christian and you have lost your passion, please ask for prayer so that we can help you and we can encourage you. If you're a Christian... And, and you, you are passionate beyond belief, but, but you don't understand. Ask one of us. Ask me. Ask West. Ask any of the other people that you see sitting around you, because we're here for each other. If you need to respond to the invitation, we're going to stand and sing a psalm of encouragement for you, and let us know while we do that.